Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. My name is Justin Lake, and I'll be your host for today's episode of the Frontline Innovators Podcast. Today's guest brings energy and passion to drive business results in her organization. She was the recipient of PepsiCo's 2019 Chairman Award and is currently the manager of the Future Ready Workforce at PepsiCo. Please welcome Christina Rivera. Hello, Christina. Hello, Justin. I'm really excited <laughs> to have you on uh, on the podcast today. And um Really excited to get into your background and how you ended up in this role. But before we do that, I want to start the conversation as we always do and ask you what you think is the greatest challenge facing the deskless frontline workforce today. Um, yeah, great, great question. I'm excited to be here. So first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I think the biggest challenge for the deskless workforce workforce um, today, you know, I could say COVID period and move on, you know, but we're going to put that aside because everybody could say that. We're going to talk um, a little bit more about that later too. So, <laughs> okay, good. Um, but I think the challenge is like the speed of change in skills. Um, just to kind of say it like plainly, um, you know, if you like buzzword bingo, you can say digitization, digitization of yep. the workforce. If you could actually say it like I can't, Right. Um, but it's really like how things are continuously changing and um, more techie. Um, and it's really leaving behind people who aren't able or prepped to learn those skills. Um, and I think there's like multiple generations, multiple demographics making up the front line. Um, those of us who like drive change in that organization have to figure out a way to set up systems to help them kind of leapfrog and keep up with that pace. Because I mean, I don't think any of us can keep up with it, but like we've got to figure out a way to help accelerate that, that skill development. That's uh, I mean, that's a fantastic start. What you just talked about is really the, the central theme of what frontline innovators is really about. And when you talk about leaving people behind who aren't prepared, I very much appreciate that you mentioned that it's multiple generations. There, there seems to be a bit of a myth that it only affects the older generation, the folks that are nearing aging out of their roles for one reason or another. And we've had a lot of guests on the show to help debunk that myth. And I've witnessed firsthand that sometimes it's it's young folks that are coming into these jobs that, you know, aren't computer science majors, but, you know, they're finding themselves now with a lot of uh, tech engagement burden on their job, and they're not necessarily comfortable about it. So it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about the, the age piece. Do you, do you think that all of your colleagues throughout the organization recognize that it's, it's a multi-generational challenge, or do you think that maybe that, that myth still persists inside oh, God, your organization no. a bit? 
Oh, no, nobody. I mean, people, I think pockets in um, HR realize that, but uh, I believe that because work holistically is changing so much, um, unless you're deep in it, unless you're deep in understanding the future of work, deep in one part of the organization, okay, IT, yes, maybe everybody's going to have to know Python in the future. But did you know that maybe half of your finance people might have to know it? Like, is that really something that somebody who isn't supporting that group would really know? No, they're like finance people, no numbers, spreadsheets, Excel, whatever it is. And so um, absolutely, no, people don't know that, which is just another thing that we have to help accelerate getting people on board. Yeah. Okay. I, I have a bunch of questions I want to ask to, to go <laughs> dig into that, but I, for, for my sake and for that of the audience, I'd really like you to give us a, a little bit of, of your background so we can get to know you and, and how you ended up in this role that you have today. So um, give you some flexibility to, to kind of go back into your past as far as you'd like to go. But if, if you want to include education as a background, but how did you end up where you're at today doing the things you're doing? Um, yeah, well, I like to share my story. So tell me if I get too long. Nope, <laughs> just keep, keep on going. We want to hear. Yeah, it. yeah, it's not linear. And so I think it's really helpful for people who um, think that, you know, they have to go, you know, one, two, three, you know, I went, I'm going A to Z by adding five and green, you know, like, it's, it's um, my undergrads in psychology, uh, with a minor in outdoor education. I'll tell you, my, my, my major was actually outdoor education until I looked around and realized all of my peers wanted to go live in the Alps or lead ropes courses or, you know, go lead, you know, um, some sort of expedition or campgrounds. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. So there's, um, there's a degree in outdoor <laughs> education? There is a degree in outdoor education at Texas A&M University. That's um, fascinating. Yeah, uh, and it was awesome, but I realized this is like a hobby. I mean, I, I was leading corporate groups as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old through high ropes courses, having people jump off a 30-foot pole, you know, grown men. It was really empowering and awesome, which leads to, you know, life and talent management and HR, but it's, it was obvious that I wasn't going to be leading, being a camp counselor in right. my life, you know? So um, anyway, I realized that I switched my majors. I became a psych major. My last course in college, when I was ready to be out of there, was IO psychology. Uh, do you know what IO psychology is? I don't. IO stands for industrial organizational psychology. And it's super geeky. And a lot of people have never heard of it. But what it really is, is psych in the workplace. And I fell in love with it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I should do. This is HR, basically. Um, but it was my last year, my last course, and I was like, I'm out of here. Um, and so I didn't go to more school. In another world, another life, maybe I would have gotten a master's, PhD, done something else. I have lots of friends who are IO PhDs, honestly, um, in my current job and other jobs. But um, yeah, I was done with school at that point. So um, shocker, there's not a lot of jobs when I graduated for bachelor's of psychology roles. So I tempt, and I, I like to tell that to people because I had a bachelor's degree in a booming economy and I couldn't get a job because it was a generic bachelor's degree. So I tempt and I learned a bunch of random things. I was a receptionist. I worked at a home loans and actually got the job, got a job at a home loan 
place for a while and did loans and I was an assistant. And then they moved me because they were like, well, you're smart. And so I got other jobs there. And then after a while, I did some, a little bit of HR-ish stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's actually what I want to do. So I started applying for jobs and I landed my first HR generalist role at a consulting firm. That's perfect. So, yeah. But I mean, that was a couple years later. So it's not like I was graduated school and I was in HR. And I like to tell people that start because I know kids now that graduate college and are like, I don't have a job. You know, my life is over. <laughs> and I'm like, not really. Um, so yeah, I, oh, can, go ahead. Can I, I'd like to understand, did you know what you wanted to do in HR when you left with that degree or was part of the problem that you weren't exactly sure what to target? Yeah, no, I had no idea. I just okay. thought that that psychology in the workforce, that one course was super interesting to me. And something like that would actually be probably fun to work in. That's honestly all I knew. And I knew that I that uh, that my minor, outdoor education, I really enjoyed leading people through team building and ropes courses. So how can those two things be a job? I didn't know. How does how does a 22 year old know anything? Honestly, they don't. I thought I knew everything at 22. <laughs> it just turns um, out I was totally wrong. Yeah, I have a 18 year old and they don't know anything at that age, <laughs> trust me. Um, yeah, so um, I loved that job. Once I got the HR generalist job, I loved it. And I'll tell you some people who are like HR generalists kind of at the bottom of the totem pole, mm -hmm. they wouldn't say they love their job. It's paperwork, it's filing, it's scheduling interviews, it's doing kind of the beginning of onboarding. But it was so fun. I got to learn so much. And I think that's probably what tells you that I'm actually probably like in the right field or in the right, you know, I'm, I'm meeting my calling, you know, because I'm helping people. Um, <clears throat> so after that, I actually moved to a software company. I'll tell you why. Random story. Um, my boss at the time said, you shouldn't be in HR. You're a driver. You like to get things done. You can get do so much more. HR is always taking people's orders, and we're always the first to get cut and layoffs. Wow, that's a big statement for somebody from HR to say about HR. Yeah, it's HR. I think like director or VP or something said that to me, and I was like, "Well, crap. Okay, so I better um, <laughs> go do something else." So I went and worked at a software company. I was in operations. I did um, all sorts of things over there, uh, you know, and led a, a multi global team, you know, multinational team over there. Um, and it was HR software, but I was in, in a software company. So I learned all about software and all that stuff. Um, as I was growing through that company, I realized I wasn't loving my job. Hmm. And, so, and so I quit. <laughs> um, I took a contract job um, in HR because I was like, I want to be back in HR. I think I would like this. So I took a contract job. I was a director. And I took like a analyst role um, at PepsiCo to get back into HR because, you know, the, I'd heard a lot of good things about the HR organization here and the gamble paid off because they hired me full time and I haven't looked back. I've done all sorts of things from, um, goodness gracious, rolling out global technologies, um, culture shifts, um, you know, career models, all sorts of, you know, projects within this company, lots of training and development. And, um, you know, my first role actually got to buy steel toe boots 
And um, I still have them in the closet because anytime I go to a plant, I get to wear them. People think I'm crazy, but I'm like, well, I'd rather have my own than borrow some that are sinky and who knows whose feet have been in them. <laughs> that we have, uh, I've got a steel toe, a pair of steel toe boots here in the office for the same reason, because uh, when we do site visits, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a good pair of shoes around. Heck yeah, heck yeah. So, um, yeah, so, you know, the, my story led me to kind of where I am now is, you know, the, the moral of where I am now is that I speak up and I go after projects and I go after work. So I chase work. So I've not always been, let's say, promoted or gone after promotions because I chase exciting work. Um, and oftentimes I see an opportunity and I speak up about it. So then that I get rewarded, quote unquote, with more work. <laughs> um, so that leads me to kind of where I am now or where I've been in the last few years is I've been kind of an agent of change. I'm in change management. I've, I am a change manager. I, you know, I don't know what I am, but be, that's because I've gotten to roll out huge, you know, uh, you know, technology across our entire global organization. I've gotten to roll out our new um, culture shifts across the entire organization. I'm in the process of changing us to be more skills-based. Um, and so all those things are change management things. And they, I landed here because I spoke up. That's fantastic. I, I want to circle back around to your experience with the, the men and women on the front lines. And I asked you about um, at the beginning, what you think is the biggest challenge facing, um, you know, the frontline workforce. And you know, we talked a little bit about the, the speed of change in skills and leaving behind those folks who, who aren't prepped to learn those skills. When we flip the view around a little bit and we have conversations with the men and women on the front lines, what do you think they would describe as the biggest challenge? Would they say the same thing or would they have a different perspective about, um, uh, about that challenge from their viewpoint? If we told them the speed of change or. No, if we were asking them what, what, what they think is, what they think is the biggest challenge, not what you think is their biggest challenge, but what do they think is their biggest challenge? <laughs> um, I think. That would not be their answer. I think their answer would probably say overworked, um, you know, too much, too, too, uh, we want, always want more efficiency, more and more, you know, crunching the numbers, more to do with less people, kind of those types of things, which again, to me, you know, relates in my world to skill building, like how are we digitizing and making things um, quote unquote, more efficient with technology? And then are we training and elevating are the skills of our frontline in order to support those um, so that they don't feel like we're just saying, do the exact same thing you've been doing, but three times more because I got rid of two of your colleagues. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the things that comes up a lot on this podcast and, you know, just in our conversations in, uh, in my normal work during the day, which is, um, that the implementation of new technology makes many frontline workers anxious about the potential for it to replace them. And I, that to me feels like one of the big differences between implementing technology in other areas of corporate America or the global uh, economy in that, um, you know, the, the accounting team typically doesn't feel as threatened. I don't believe by a new implementation of SAP or Oracle as the frontline workforce may feel about a new implementation of technology for the front lines. Do you think there's any validity to that? 
Oh, absolutely. I would have said, like, I was the answer of, you know, what's my biggest uh, challenge? And it is more work, more efficiency. But yeah. secondly, it's you're trying to replace me with a robot. Yeah. Like, I, de we definitely hear that. Um, and I would say that's, you know, they think they would feel like that's the their biggest challenge. Um, and so absolutely, anytime we we want to roll out something t with the intent to make their lives easier, that with the intent to make um, things smoother or more effective, um, the fear comes in. Um, and I think that fear is one of the biggest things that, that people who are in charge of change management and any culture shift in an organization, those human elements are the pieces that we have to um, attend to the most because you know that's what is changing much more than my behaviors and me pushing whatever buttons. Right. Well, and I've been in, been a part of a lot of the conversations in organizations that were implementing new digital solutions for the front lines. And rarely has the motivation behind those investments been to eliminate a portion of the workforce. And it, it often has been geared toward more efficiency, greater output, greater results, things like that. Um, but in in almost every case that I can think of, their jobs actually were not in danger. But I wonder sometimes if we're doing a good enough job of communicating that to the people that feel that they could be affected by that. Have yeah. you have you figured out any you know good way to handle that communication to alleviate those concerns because i mean adoption of technology is going to be very difficult if the people are threatened by the very technology you're asking them to learn um i wouldn't say no i'm not an expert and there is no silver bullet um there are some things that i've done and have been doing recently that are much more about like what's your future look like and very focused on how can we you know where are you headed and very much about me as an employee, me as my future job, you know, really focus on what is, what is this going to look like for me in three years or in, you know, whatever. So, so that I can, we can make it real to them that, oh, this is, it's going to actually look like, you know, there are going to, there's going to be a robot there next to me, but I'm going to have to be on the this screen, making sure that the pressure is right or the blah, blah, blah is right. And so, that, that's what it is, you know? And so then they can start conceptualizing the changes in the factories um, and in the, in the everywhere. So they can, they can then place themselves there. And ideally in my goals, they can start thinking, okay, what skills do I need to grow to get there? Yeah. So that was the next question I was going to ask is when we do create that future vision for that employee about what it will look like at that time, then clearly a skills gap will be identified. Right. And so that's where we do need to, to look at, you know, reskilling or upskilling those workers to, to uh, you know, help fulfill that vision for them. Yeah. But it is really tricky because I mean, there are places where things are moving and, you know, maybe we're building a different facility and maybe it's right by that one, but it's, you know, that one's going to move and this one's going to come over here. Or, I mean, I don't, I don't know what we're, I can't tell our future, but you know, companies are doing that. Yeah. And so um, like, how do you say that? Like those roles are changing. Nobody's trying to get rid of your job. Like my job, I tell people that all the time. I'm always worried. I'm like, PepsiCo used to lay people off all the time. Like I'm always prepared to be laid off just because I never know. 
And so um, how do you provide that uh, psychological safety and get people to buy in to change? And it's, it's a really tough nut to crack. Yeah. So I want to throw that back to you. How do you, how do you try to solve for that? Have you developed any best practices as a professional in that space around, you know, kind of learning the nuance of, of communication or any other methodologies that you can share with us? Um, yeah, well, really what I just, you know, kind of what I was alluding to earlier, you know, storytelling, really um, bringing it home, uh, um, real stories as well is something that we're, um, I like to do a lot is, you know, find people who've already done it, who are, you know, living their life, their best life now, and we can show the story. Look, this person looks just like you does the same thing you do because Christina saying it doesn't mean anything because Christina has her little cushy corporate job. She gets to work from home whenever she feels like it. It doesn't mean anything. If the CEO says it, it doesn't mean anything. He, you know, flies in the corporate jet. So I need, uh, you know, Susie Q who's also working, you know, in the warehouse to say it and to hear that story and really make it human um, and repeat it. <laughs> Susie's story, Joe's story, Johnny's story, and on video and in paper and mailed to me. And I mean, really a lot of those same elements that um, people who do change management and communications know, which is repetition and storytelling and making things, um, you know, pulling that empathetic, that part of the heart, the heartstrings. Um, I think all those pieces really help build, get that buy-in. And you said something else in there too, which is to have, if I understood you correctly, to have men and women from the field actually be the communicators Correct. of their stories. Did I understand you right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Using our own people to communicate the stories to their peers, I think is, is very powerful. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great idea. And that's a great example of a best practice. I, and I've seen that played out in several pretty big initiatives where, um, you know, a, a group of, of champions has been assembled from the field and, and really brought on to the change team to help facilitate that communication. And I, I definitely think that that's, uh, you know, a, a best practice and, and really just, you're also, you know, just building the change. I've heard different expressions for this, but the change champion network, um, you know, whatever term you may use to describe that. Um, but just building that network of folks who are definitely in the know, who understand and have embraced the idea of this change and allow them to be, you know, the propagators of, of some of that news to their colleagues out in the field is, yeah. uh, is a great idea. <laughs> we often use ambassadors. Um, yeah. And yeah, we absolutely use that be, um, for multiple reasons. I mean, we're so large and matrix that, I mean, it helps to have more um, hands on the ground. Um, but also, again, that that real life story of somebody at your same level in your same role in your same function is much more um, impactful and also, um, you know, helps uh, build the credibility. Yeah. Do you think that there are different change management strategies and tactics that should be used for men and women on the front line versus other maybe more traditional corporate jobs? Hmm. That's a good question. Cause I'm, uh, I mean, 
having like, for example, ambassador or change networks um, is really we've used for both. Communications obviously is used for both, um, you know, managing stakeholders and all those things you use for both. I'm, I'm trying to think about what I would do differently. I, you know, the things that, the way you communicate is different. So, so maybe this, you would say the strategy is the same, but the tactics that you would employ might be a little bit different for each of those yeah. work groups. Yeah, the tactics, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. Absolutely. No, no, you, you are translating well, Christina's yeah. um, shorthand here. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely. The tactics I think are different and potentially the, the, um, the execution of those tactics too. Like, uh, you know, if we're texting, for example, our sales force, cause they all have devices, let's text. Um, we may do a little more um, repetition in that, in that modality than if we're emailing corporate, um, you know, so I think there's a little bit of nuance to it, but I'm not sure like the overall strategies are that different. Yeah, no, I, I that actually makes perfect sense. And I, I think um, you, you just led to another thing that I want to talk about with you, which is the technologies that you may use or favor for implementing change with the frontline worker. So I'm not referring to the actual enterprise system that you're deploying or, or adapting you know, to, uh, to change, but the actual tools that you use in the change. So you mentioned text messaging. Are you meaning literally a, a text sent to their smartphone as a way to communicate about that? And if so, are you using any special technologies in, in order to support that? Um, I am not, but we've definitely texted um, messages to yeah. uh, certain parts of our workforce. We also have control of company devices. And so we can control kind of what pops up on the front, like when you yeah. first log in or when you first ever. So there's some of that that we can do. Um, so technologically, those are kind of, there. there's certain limitations, I think. Um, we've also, there's been a few creative um, things we've done with our frontline um access points so like when you think about a like a warehouse and there's actually an, a, a physical um, screen mm-hmm. uh where there'll be a pop-up for certain um and you would have never thought of those in the past because you're very focused on delivering but like little by little we can sneak things in with it um to get some of those things in there of like oh, hey, it's open enrollment time or, you know, or, you know, when it's a really big thing like that, there can be something that impacts the workforce. Um, But, you know, (laughs) we're we're really back to, and it may just be a, a symptom of where our organization is. We're not, you know, my experience currently is, I'm not Google. And so we're very much, you know, paper, posters, you know, kind of company. And so we've got trucks, we've got drivers, we make, move, sell, you know, so those are the types of places, you know, we've got digital screens and tables for where people go eat lunch. And so that's how we get to in front of them. And in some ways old, you know, the old approaches uh, have persisted and and may continue to persist for some time. There's still a, a place for those mediums for, for sure. I want to go back to something that you talked about at the beginning, which was the pandemic. We can't ignore the pandemic. And I, I think 
the frontline workforce is of particular interest around this conversation because while it has affected you know every human on earth it's had uh, a really interesting impact i think on frontline workers in particular because unlike those of us with you know corporate jobs that work in an office and maybe we got to work from our kitchen table for you know several months or a year or two now um, you know the frontline workers didn't get to change as much what do you think has been the impact to the men and women on the front lines and how is that affecting the way that you look at implementing change in that workforce i i think we haven't even begun to understand the impact of that workforce of of uh the pandemic on that workforce um i think that that sometimes people talk about the the impact that this past year and a half has had on them and how exhausted they are or this or that and then and then they have a conversation with a nurse or you know a firefighter or somebody and then it's like oh okay yeah my life is not so bad like they realize what it really is like to somebody who's been on the front lines the whole time um and so you know i don't think we know how I think we're, you know, the, the workforce is so it's such a weird place. I have this conversation almost every day with someone of, you know, like the need for more labor and how, how we, you know, like we're just in this crazy labor market right now that um, I think that, sorry, my daughter keeps FaceTiming me. Um, <laughs> no problem. I think, so that's why I keep getting distracted. Um, I think that some of them made decisions to be like, well, I need to change what I'm doing. I think some, some of them, you know, were, are perfectly happy. They love their jobs. They were fine. They dealt with it. They've moved on, whatever. Um, and I think we've lost a lot of people out of the workforce. And so I think that we're trying to figure out what, what to do. How do we get people back in the workforce? How do we change work if we need to, to make maybe frontline more attractive? less, yeah. less, whatever it was this past year. Yeah. I, I think that, um, one of the things that I, I guess I love about, I don't want to say I love about the pandemic, but maybe as a silver lining of the pandemic is that I think there's been an increased awareness of the role that frontline workers play in the global economy. And frankly, just for all of us in our lives, and I often refer to, you know, the whole thing when toilet paper was no longer on the shelves and suddenly we said, who's supposed to make all the toilet paper and deliver that stuff to the grocery store, right? And, and I knew that because I, you know, kind of think about things in supply chain and, and, you know, distribution networks and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of people hadn't really given that much thought prior to what happened. And uh, there was a lot of pressure on those men and women that had to make that product and deliver that product and, you know, ensure that that product was merchandised properly. And so I, I think one silver lining is that at least many more people now understand the role that a lot of the men and women in organizations like yours play in just, you know, the, the basic things that we all take for granted in, in our lives. So I'm optimistic about that. And I hope that helps to, to reshape how we think about this stuff. But I also think it's put a lot of pressure on them to the point, And I think this is what you're making about, you know, some of the labor challenges where uh, there's been so much pressure that some people have chosen to exit jobs uh, for a variety of reasons, better opportunity, too much pressure, lack of satisfaction, whatever that reason may be. And, and what I'm seeing as I have these conversations is that that's putting a lot of pressure on these organizations now to, to rethink 
you know, uh, the hiring processes and, and training processes on the whole onboarding process now is going from something that, yeah, like we have to do this all the time to no, we're going to replace 50% of our workforce in the next year. You know, it's, it's gone from, this isn't just a little side thing. This is now a main primary function for us. And I'm, I'm still, I, I love the point that you made. We probably haven't even seen the full impact of this yet. In fact, we almost certainly haven't. So what are some of the changes that are coming around the pipe, you know, around the corner that we'll have to deal with? Yeah, that's a really good point though. Um, you made about the supply chain and people appreciating that. Um, because I, I've had conversations with friends that are not even anywhere in um, some sort of manufacturing, com- you know, industry and they're like well the supply chain and the ships and you know can't even get in the harbors and it's 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 so fascinating now that people understand so much more about supply chain that they would have never thought about like you know people ask me where do you where do y'all buy your the corn from or the oil from and I'm like wow you care about like the entire supply chain now like there's so you would have never thought about where does where does um you know where, where do they get the paper for the toilet paper? You know, the trees, where do the trees come from? I don't know. Like, I just need toilet paper when I go to the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it it is really, it isn't, like I said, a super interesting time to watch the labor market. Some companies that we've talked to on the podcast have said that not only have the frontline workers had to kind of keep on trucking, literally and figuratively um, during the pandemic, but that also their employers were trying to push more change down to the front line through necessity, trying to improve communication tools and things like that. Have you seen any of that happen over the last year and a half where the, the amount of change has actually increased in part because of the pandemic and now they're having to deal with all of that at the same time? Um, yes and no. So I think there's, there's a healthy, more than healthy level of change, um, always happening, um, with our groups. And I think that our, our teams, um, you know, our leaders were, have been super, um, sensitive to the fact that there is a lot going on with everyone. And so where can we buffer and maybe not push this or slow certain things down or combine, hey, if we're going to change this tool this month and that tool next month, could we put them together and wait? Just, you know, halfway logical thinking, whereas historically we'd put one and then the next week, another one and the next week, another one. Now we're trying to be a little bit more sympathetic to the situation and and, um, maybe bundle things or hold off when it's busy season or things like that which to me is like, like you said, another not good, but good thing out of the pandemic is like just more strategic employee focused thinking. Yeah. And that I've really enjoyed the, the change management series that we're doing on the podcast in part because of, of hearing examples like what you're talking about. And I think I've, I've come to learn this term of change saturation, which is what you were just describing without necessarily using that term. And I think it's fantastic that leadership in many organizations now are more sensitive to that. And one of our podcast guests even expanded that thought to include change outside of work. So I think I've even been narrow-minded in thinking that, you know, we're just measuring change in the work, in the context of work, but many people have significant burdens of change right now occurring inside their lives 
that have nothing to do with work, but still have to be contemplated when we think about the human element, you know, at the center of all this. Absolutely. Um, there's change every, I mean, I think there's more change a lot of times outside of work than inside of work. And when we are considering work or uh, change programs within the workforce, we have to take into account the whole human. And those are things that we maybe didn't historically do. And so I think that is really making um, our CHRO always says, bring the human back to human resources. You know, and I think that's a great thing because we have to think about the humans, not just, you know, the cog. No, that's, that's a really great point. And that, that is really at the center of what Frontline Innovators is all about is that, you know, many of us have spent our entire careers building and deploying technology into, you know, the, the frontline worker community. And there's really not been enough attention paid to the most critical element of that transformation, which is the human that has to use the technology. Yeah. And, you know, I've, as I've just really thought back to many of the projects that I've, I've worked on over the years with many large corporations that have spent countless months evaluating, you know, details about the technology down to a level of, uh, you know, minutia that just didn't really make sense and then paid very little attention to how the humans were actually going to adopt and, and engage and be successful with the technology. And um, so I, I do see uh us turning the corner a bit. I think just the sheer number of change management professionals that exist now inside the global economy, I think is a sign that um, having a strategy around change is now becoming more accepted. But but that actually leads me to, to another question for you is, do you feel that you as a change professional have to evangelize the need for change? Or, or do you feel like it's uh, very well embraced? I, I think I'm picking up some, some signs from the things that you've said that it's well embraced inside your organization, but what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, I think it's well embraced in pockets. Um, okay. I think that when there is a leader who has seen a really robust change program um, executed well, they are advocates of doing that consistently. I think that when you have leaders who haven't done it and they've executed the old way, oh, just turn it on, they'll use it. They continue to do that. And so then, like you said, you have to evangelize. No, let's look at how this other team did this. Look at how much better, look at the stats, how much more uptake they had, how quicker to, you know, full, full, you know, productivity they had, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you have, there's a lot more sale in getting there before, um, you actually can get them on board. But I, I, um, I think to your, to your point that there are, there's a lot more, I think, buy-in now, um, but I think it's the buy-in of a little bit of it. So I don't think there's buy-in in like the entire let's do, like, oh, we can skip stakeholder analysis. We're all on board, we're good. Or you can, st you can skip, you know, a weekly ship updating us, we're good. You know, like there's pieces in there and it's like, no, no, this whole thing is actually really important. All the parts play with each other. And if you don't do the whole project right, then that's when something breaks. I talked to an organization uh, the other day, sort of similar in their model to you, not a competitor of yours, but, but just similar business, food and beverage distribution. And we were talking about the management, uh, the field level management of uh, the delivery drivers. And we were talking about 
skill development for them. And this, this company reminded me that those people are back in trucks right now. Like they're running routes because the turnover topic that we talked about before is become such a critical issue for them that it's becoming very difficult for supervisor and manager level folks to really spend much time being supervisors and managers because in many cases they're actually running routes right to keep food on the shelves and toilet paper on the shelves and all the other things that we talked about and and that's really that's that's going to have some downstream effects right because right now we're just just trying to keep the lights on keep things moving and from a, a development standpoint, we'll probably be, uh, you know, a little bit delayed on that as we kind of weather the storm on, on this, you know, the, the labor challenges that we're seeing today. Yeah, totally. And I think that's part of the, uh, we haven't seen all the repercussions yet because there right. are so many um, groups that are like that, where the supervisors, the managers, the directors, the senior directors are out there doing the, the job of their people because they're so low on people. You know, the, the VP of finance is building the, the spreadsheet because he doesn't have enough analysts or whatever it is. And so then they don't have enough time to have a development discussion. They don't have enough time to go to a conference or to train somebody or to whatever it is. So that repercussion, it's not just in the front line. It will be much harder in the front line, but it's going to be a global like, I mean, the 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 things that we've talked about that are impacting our labor market are going to like, they're just, the ripple effect is going to be huge. Yeah. I guess that'll give us a lot of things to talk about our frontline innovators. <laughs> it uh, will. You're not going <laughs> to lose topics for years. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that's good and bad, but for, uh, from the podcast standpoint, we'll have plenty of things to keep talking about. You will, you will. Um, I, I, I mean, we've already blown through a lot of time. I, I, this conversation is going really, really fast. Um, I am curious to get your take on what, is your favorite thing about working around technology? Um, I love uh, when something makes my life easier. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I love, and I love making other people's lives easier. So I'm really service oriented. And so um, teaching other people, I, I taught somebody how to open a SharePoint site, a SharePoint document in the app today from a vendor like they were sharing their screen or something and I was like you know if you push this button you can actually open it in the app and then there's all the features of word or whatever and they're like what and I was like see life is so much easier when you like know all the things and the technology and it's it's just you know there's a billion features and you can't always know them all and so I love that I love discovering discovering and learning um, things that make my life and other people's lives easier you know, that, that's such a core of digital transformation initiatives and the human element. And, you know, when we think about engagement with technology, just because somebody's using it every day doesn't mean that they're using it correctly or efficiently or effectively. And that's, you know, what you just described is, is an example of that. And I, I think a lot of times, you know, when you go back be, to what you said before about in some pockets where you don't always feel like you get the support for change management as a strategic function as much as you think you should, um, that's part of the problem, I think, is that people who may be pushing back say, oh, no, they're using it already. They, they're they're going to know how to use it. They use the last application with no problem. They'll be able to use this application. But the reality is what we hear in every single one of those cases is that downstream there are implications to impartial use or partial, I should say partial use of of the application, right? Incorrect use Mm -hmm. uh, or partial use of the application. And so there are downstream implications to that. Mm 
And, uh, but, but I think sometimes they're just hidden inside, you know, big organizations where perhaps, um, you know, the effects of that aren't necessarily always measured. Absolutely. If, if it's not in my KPIs, if I'm not paid on it, I don't need to do it. Or my boss said, I just have to log in once a month. So I just go log in once and then I leave. Like, and, then, and then it's done. And that's it. And it's like, well, yeah. that's not beneficial. That's not actually what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But, but yeah. So, what, what's an example of something that you don't like as much about working around technology? Um, you know, I think that I don't like that. I can't get away from it. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't like that. Uh, I, yeah, I think I'd say, I don't like that. I can't get away from it. And I don't like that. I can't change everything I want to. <laughs> I want to be in charge of the world. I want to be queen of the world. And we use, you know, I have a lot of SaaS working on implementing a couple of SaaS providers right now. And so I'm like, why can't I do this? I should be able to do that. I want to do this. Yeah. You know, if I was queen of the world, this would happen. And so I think we have to embrace like the Apple mentality. My phone works. Like it's awesome. It does 95% of what I needed to. Yeah. It would be nice if, but whatever. Yeah, that is part of, you know, those of us that are kind of enthusiasts around technology and, and enjoy a lot of the things that come from it, it, it is easy to also then get frustrated that we can't even do more and faster. And I would say, especially inside an enterprise environment where we know that more is possible, it's not a technology limitation. It's rarely a technology limitation, but just getting things pushed through the process, right? Implementing the change, right? Um, you know, going through that whole exercise sometimes, you know, slows things down dramatically. And so that, I think that's one of the things that we've all seen, whereas, you know, advances, even things like IoT, uh, you know, the adoption of certain technologies have happened faster in our homes than they've happened, you know, in large enterprise environments because the, the burden of change is just a little bit easier in a household than it is inside a, a large multinational corporation. It totally is. And, and, and especially inside an inherently non-digital environment. I think right. you look at like, you know, people compare to Google or to Amazon and I'm like, those were inherently digital. You can't compare to those because they started digital compared yeah. to PNG, you know, something who's a little more, you know, inherently not digital. And then let's see how quickly they move. Yeah. We, uh, we just didn't about need to wrap this up, but before we go, I, I would like to ask you to share with us a little bit. Uh, you were the recipient of the PepsiCo 2019 Chairman Award. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, I was not the only one, just okay. for the record. <laughs> okay, good. No, um, good to it, understand. It is a, uh, I, I like, I'm blushing now. Yes, lots of people get it um, for different things, of course. Uh, you know, several people from each sector are nominated and then somebody, you know, groups win it. So I got this with a group. So some people get it individually. Some people get it okay. with a team. So me and four, I think of my colleagues, four or five of my colleagues got it for implementing what we call the PepsiCo way. Um, it's our um, behaviors of basically how you're expected to work at PepsiCo. So when we got our new CEO, he rolled out a new mission vision and you would say values, but they're not values or behaviors. So it's our new value system, basically. And our team um, was dubbed internal consultants to roll it out across the entire organization. And so we had uh, less than a month to, to launch it before a town hall and had to do a bunch of a bunch of work really fast, really crazy. And then that whole year, basically, we spent um, rolling it out across the organization. Well, that's a great story. Well, congratulations for that. Thanks. It was that's really fun. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I uh, really appreciate you being a part of this. And uh, we do need to wrap it up. So um, I hope everybody in the audience has found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on our next episode. Thank you.